The reading tonight is taken from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to 10. And I encourage you to follow it in your church Bibles. It's on page 1174. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to 10, on page 1174. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, for the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Well, it was well read by VJ, but I'm afraid he cheated Um, I noticed as he was reading it just then, he um, breathed several times and he split verses 3 to um, 10 up into at least three little sentences. In fact, our ESV Bible cheats as well. Um, It puts in a full stop in verse 4, just before in love. It puts a full stop at the end of verse 6, just before in him. And when Paul wrote it, he didn't use any full stops until he got to the end of verse 14. I don't even know if it's possible to read that in one breath. Um, but why don't I try? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed in Christ, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chosen him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption of Jesus Christ, according to his purpose of his will, to praise the glorious grace, which he blessed in the beloved, in him we have redemption of his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to its grace. <laughs> I can't do it. But, you know, you can only even try to do it if you're very, very excited. You read it like that, it sounds a little bit like horse racing, doesn't it? That's the kind of closest I could get to it. And horse racing isn't a dull sport. You don't kind of amble through it. You race through it with excitement. And Paul, as he writes, I know he's not saying it, he's writing it, so it's a bit easier to to miss out, but he is very excited about this. You get the emotion comes across, doesn't it? He is saying, praise God, praise God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you almost can't say it if you're English, because it just seems a bit too emotional, a bit too excited. Um, Let me ask you how good you are, how much in favour you are of blessing God. It sounds, when I say blessing God, that's the word here. It sounds like something either you do with food, doesn't it? You bless food. Or it sounds like when you go, ah, bless, or something like that. It doesn't mean like that. It just means like, praise God. The word comes from, is the word that we use, eulogy, comes from the Greek word that's here. It means to kind of go over the top, saying how fantastic something is. I wonder how comfortable you are um, with that. I guess we'd have a spectrum of views here, and probably the British people would be the least comfortable, I guess. So, for example, if you were to have a friend who was in the habit, while walking through the countryside, of shouting to um, fish in in a lake as you pass it, 
um, and you see an apple tree, and he starts talking to the apple tree, and occasionally he shouts up into the sky at the stars. You probably think he was quite embarrassing to be around, and yet that's what the man who wrote Psalm 148 did, that we just sung. Praise God, the new great sea creatures, mountains and hills, fruit trees, praise him. The stars praise him. You think it was a little bit OTT, I guess, if someone were to behave like that. Well, what would you say if a friend of yours lost their family tragically in a terrible accident and then fell hugely ill himself with a horrible skin disease that blistered all over his body? And yet when you visited him in hospital, he could only tell you how fantastic he thought God was. Well, you think maybe he was in denial? A little bit OTT. Except that's what Job did in the second song that we sang today. How easy did you find it to sing those songs? I guess we'd have a spectrum of answers here. Depending on whether you're British, depending on whether you know the tune, depending on what kind of week or month you've had. How easy do you find it to praise God? And is is it just that you think that you should because you know that lots of books of the Bible say that, but it has no emotional content for you. Is it a kind of concept rather than an exclamation? For Paul, it is an exclamation. For the psalmist, it's something he wants to shout to the sky. Now, you might let yourself off the hook, as I do, saying, well, I don't, I'm not that kind of person, I'm more understated than that. I don't do things that way. But think about the way in which you eulogise some other things in your life. For example, some of you, apparently, I don't know anything about football, but some of you who support Spurs are quite chuffed today. And if you walk past the pubs this afternoon, you could hear shouts of praise from British people, even. Or maybe um, you're uh, not into football, but you're into gadgets, um, like I am. And maybe you've just got a new iPhone 3G, which I haven't got, but I want. And I'm trying to think of why this is absolutely essential for my ministry at St. Helens. (laughs) And you you find yourself going around everyone saying, look how cool this is. And you're showing them all the features and how you can zoom in just by moving your fingers apart and all that kind of thing. You might not be an emotionally effusive kind of person, but my guess is you know how to be emotionally effusive in your own way about the things that excite you, about the things that are so good that they just have to be shared. And they're not shared in a matter-of-fact concept way. They're exclaimed. Fantastic Spurs 2-0! That kind of thing. Or, she said yes, which you probably do shout at the fish and the sky. How can we get ourselves into the frame of mind where we want to say verse 3 and mean it and exclaim it? Where it's not just a concept, a truth, a theological correct point of doctrine, but it's just the way that we feel about God. Have you ever met someone like that who just loves Jesus so much that they... They just want to talk about him all the time. It's not because they think they're supposed to, or even that they've been trained in a course that's told them that they should. They just can't help it. 
they're just so excited about him that that is all you get to hear about when you go around the house. Often that's true of a a new Christian, isn't it? A baby Christian. I I hear this, uh, maybe people even here this evening, for whom your faith in Jesus is just a week or two old. If you're here, that's fantastic. And maybe your friends have had that experience with you this last week. Um, I remember the, the night after I became a Christian, um, bouncing around my hall of residence at university, telling everybody, um, ordinarily shy Andrew as I was. How can we get ourselves into the frame of mind that we want to shout, verse 3, bless God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the answer is, you feel like blessing God if you understand how he's blessed you. Do you see that? That's why he, we use the word blessed rather than praised, I think, because you can't get the word praised to work both ways in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Bless him because he's blessed us. You can't do it with praise. Praise him because he's praised us. He hasn't really praised us. No, he's blessed us. But it's the same idea. Because he's blessed us, we can return that in praise to him, in blessing to him. But if I were to ask you to turn to your neighbour now, which I'm not going to do, so I don't want to freak you out, and list all the ways in which Jesus has blessed you this week, I wonder how loud the sound of murmuring would be across St Helens, or whether there would be 650 awkward British silences. Um, I ask that because um, Charlie, Charlie Scream, one of the other preachers here, um, asked us that question over the summer at St Helens on an evening, on a Wednesday night. And he asked us to, to talk to our neighbours and say reasons that we had for being thankful to Jesus this week. And there was awkwardness on all the tables, mine included, from myself included. And so if the list of ways in which God has blessed you in the top of your head is quite short, then the aim of Ephesians chapter 1 is to fill it out a bit for you. To give you some ways in which God has blessed you in order that when you think about him, you're just going to want to tell everybody, blessed be God. Well, you'll see the first point, in fact, the only point really on our handout, bless God who has blessed us, verse 3. But he says a couple of things about that blessing of us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, first of all, these blessings are in the heavenly places. That's what we've called our title, our series from Ephesians. And that little phrase comes up again and again and again throughout Ephesians. And you might be thinking, ah, again, it's cheating, you see. It's not bless God because I've got a new car or an iPod touch or because Tottenham Hotspur won. It's all these intangible, invisible, spiritual things. It's things that you can't see with normal eyes but you need spiritual eyes to see. It's things that you can't see in your bank account. Um, It doesn't come through maybe with the kind of thunderous um, clap as the, the letter which tells you that you've been made redundant because of the credit crisis. Um, it doesn't come through with the same impact as the letter from the doctor saying that it's bad news for you. Those are very real and concrete and in my experience things. And these are in the heavenly places things. And you think, oh, cheating. 
But actually, the heavenly places things are very, very real things. Just because they're invisible does not mean that they're not true. And Paul in Ephesians, really the whole letter, is going to be peeling back the screen that hides the heavenly places from view. He'll be telling us what's going on there. He'll be enabling us to perceive with the eyes of faith what you cannot see with your biological eyes. And he'll be giving you reason after reason after reason to praise God because he's blessed us. But first of all, notice, and this is absolutely typical, I was so chuffed with myself for getting the, um, the outline into the church office before 11 o'clock on Friday. And they were all shocked um, about it, but of course, inevitably, it means it's wrong. Only slightly wrong, I think. Um, the first point, bless God, he's blessed us. I think we've got to say, bless God, he's blessed us in Christ. Because again and again and again, through these verses, you might have heard in this same sentence, he keeps saying, in Christ, in him, in him, through Jesus Christ, in him, in Christ, in him. These blessings, these things that you can't see, are all ours through Jesus. Because if you're a Christian, then you belong to Jesus and he belongs to you. The idea of being in Christ, it's the language that Jesus used for the relationship between him and his Father. He says, the Father's in me, and I am in the Father. What does that mean? It means we have the closest imaginable relationship with one another. And so if you're a Christian, and you're in Christ, well, it doesn't mean that you're God, like Jesus and the Father are, but it means you have the closest imaginable relationship with, with Jesus. And it means that everything that Jesus has got, you've got. All the treasures and blessings that Jesus owns, he shares with you. I want to read you, um, slightly ambitious reading, it's slightly hard to understand, but it is, um, it's written by a Puritan, Jonathan Edwards, not the triple jumper, but the, um, the American theologian. And I think he was about as excited as Paul was when he wrote this. And I'm going to try and read it, not that fast, but in a kind of excitable way. And these are his thoughts that he scribbled down in a notebook one day um, about um, what it means to be in Christ. And because John Edwards was a sensationally famous um, theologian philosopher, they published even the stuff that he wrote down in in his notebooks. They must have find them all. Um, even they weren't, they weren't books, they were just doodlings on his service sheets, you know, at church, and they, they published them. Here's one of them. It's called Union with Christ. By virtue of the believer's union with Christ, he really does possess all things. What do I mean by possessing all things? I mean that God, all he has, all he does, all he's made or done, the whole universe, bodies and spirits, earth and heaven, angels, men and devils, sun, moon and stars, land and sea, fish and fowls, all the silver and gold, kings and potentates as well as normal men, are as much the Christians as the money in his pocket, the clothes he wears, the house he lives in, the things he eats. Yes, more properly his, more advantageously, more his than if he could command them himself, as he pleased, by virtue of the union with Christ. Because Christ, who certainly does possess all these things, is entirely his, so he possesses it all. More than a wife possesses a share of the best and dearest husband. The universe is the Christian's, only he hasn't the trouble of managing it, 
But Christ, to whom it's no trouble, manages it for him a thousand times as much to his advantage as he could himself if he had the managing of it all. Every atom in the universe is managed by Christ so as to be the most advantage to the Christian. Every particle of air, every ray of the sun, so that he, in the other world, when he comes to see it, shall sit and enjoy all this vast inheritance with surprising, amazing joy. I think that's quite cool as a way of describing all that Christ has is ours because we are in him. It's quite cool, and Puritans are pretty awesome. But even this by Jonathan Edwards is not quite as cool as Paul's way of expressing it. The blessings that are Jesus's and that become ours in him. And I've listed four, and we're going to rattle through them together. How has God blessed us invisibly in Christ in the heavenly places? Well, first of all, verse four, he chose us in him to be holy and blameless before the foundation of the world. And going back to football analogies, I didn't know about the the Spurs score until someone told me just now, because I'm kind of out of touch with football. And I wonder if that's the emotional scarring because of all of those PE lessons at school. I was the geeky kid. I hated PE. I even did Latin at school because it got you out of one of the two compulsory PE lessons. That you had to do. And then one of the reasons I hated PE was because it was cold and muddy and stuff like that. But the other reason I hated it was the, the fact that you always got picked last if you were the geeky guy. Anyone experienced that here? You don't have to identify yourself. But you know the agonizing experience when you're waiting and two of your kind of coolest classmates get to pick the teams and you kind of think, here we go again. And you, everyone knows what's going to happen. So why don't you just say, get in the same teams as last week? But no! <laughs> Let's go through it all again. Um, there was one guy in my, in my um, P class who was slightly less sporty than me. He was called Scott. We became great friends. <laughs> and if Scott was ill, it was a miserable lesson. There's something awful about being passed over, about being included in the dinner party because really someone feels that you've got to. And something awesome about being picked, wanted, chosen. And according to Paul, God feels that way towards Jesus. He wanted him, he chose him, he was delighted with him. And he feels the same way towards Christians who are in Jesus. He chose us. He wanted us. But you don't choose someone just to be chosen. You choose somebody for something. So, for example, you choose somebody to be in your team or not. And God has chosen Christians not just to be chosen, but to be something amazing. To be holy and blameless ones before him. God, with an eye to the future, with the eye to his perfect world, with the eye to the time when the heavenly places become visible... God, with an eye to the day when there are a a holy people serving him around his throne, chose, picked, wanted you, if you're a Christian, to be amongst them. He couldn't think of anyone he'd rather have to serve him as a holy, blameless, transformed person than you. A fantastic spiritual blessing.
Secondly, he predestined us in love for adoption through Jesus Christ. Now, at this point, some of you are kind of bristling, thinking he's mentioned it. He's said the P word. It's almost a swear word, isn't it, in church? The P word. You're not really supposed to say it and very much. And if you do say it, you're supposed to say it in, on an evening when there's going to be time for great controversy and argument and debating, and oh, I have this view of it, and have you heard what he said about it, and she doesn't even believe in it, and so on. Paul doesn't use it like that, though. Paul uses the P word as one of the amazing blessings with which God's blessed us in Christ. And he wants to praise Jesus for it. So in other words, if your reaction to predestination is, oh no, not that, you're just a really, really long way away from understanding it like the Bible does. If your reaction to being predestined, well, it's a bit like being chosen, you see. It's a bit like being chosen, except that it expresses the fact that God has got in his control everything needed to make you getting holy and blameless work out that way. I guess one of the most amazing ways to be chosen is um, to be chosen to be adopted by some people who decide that they love you so much that they'd like you to be their son or their daughter. Now, I guess there'll be people in St. Helens this evening who'd experience that kind of amazing love. There'll be adopted people here. You'll know how much your, your adopted parents must have loved you to pick you, to want you like that. But you'll also know, or maybe you'll know, that adoption procedures in the UK can be very difficult and protracted and drawn out. And there can be endless meetings with social services and screenings and the government deciding if you're suitable and then deciding that you're not because you're too religious or too Christian or whatever it is and there's disappointment and then you try again and it takes months and months and apparently it's a really drawn out process and you can want to adopt somebody but it can be such a a difficult experience. How do you know it's actually going to work out that way? But you see, God has the luxury of running the universe. So that not only can he choose the people that he would love to be his children, but he can also make sure that everything that is needed to happen to make that happen is planned in advance and will work out just the way that he wants. He's destined it to be the case that the adoption process works out. That's how much he cares about you being one of his, if you're a Christian. What a fantastic spiritual blessing. But what is it going to involve for an adoption procedure to work out for God to adopt a Christian? Well, you see, there's a problem. There's a problem with um, human beings becoming children of God. And the problem is our trespasses our sins, our moral filth, our compromise, all of the ways in which we haven't been the holy and blameless people that he chose us to be. And so God has to work out how he is going to get morally failed, messed up people to become holy and blameless children fit to serve him around a heavenly throne. And the answer is it doesn't come cheap to do that. It's very expensive to buy people back from slavery to sin. You see it there in verse 7. We have redemption through his blood. The word redemption means to, to be set free, to be purchased, to belong to somebody. And the price of ownership of, of Christians 
is the death of Jesus. Only through his death can we be forgiven our trespasses. Can we be adopted as his sons? Can we be holy and blameless before him? But Paul says God's done that. What a fantastic spiritual blessing. And then finally, the last one, verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will. Now, you might think that's a bit of an anticlimax, okay? We've had three amazing things, being chosen, being predestined, being redeemed, and then finally he tells you something. He made known something. You think, well, that's a bit of an anticlimax compared with the others. But actually, it's not. Um, It's actually kind of the crowning glory of the whole thing. It's actually the thing that the rest of Ephesians is going to be exploding with praise about. It's a bit like, and this is a rubbish illustration, I was trying to think of something similar. It's a bit like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, but without the slightly unhinged Willy Wonka. I don't know if you saw that kind of slightly scary character. And play, or both actually, both versions, both the Johnny Depp version and the Gene Hackman version are pretty scary. Well, God's not pretty scary in that kind of unhinged way, but you know how the beginning of the Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, there's this great mystery about what goes on behind the gates of the factory. And everyone knows it makes fantastic chocolate. Everyone knows there's kind of amazing plans for future products going on in there. No one knows what they are. And actually the biggest privilege that Charlie has when winning the golden ticket is not just to eat loads of chocolate um, and um, try the kind of bubbly lemonade and so forth. It's actually to be told the secrets of Willy Wonka. To be told his plans. To be told about what his hopes are for the whole factory. One day, to belong to Charlie, almost like adoption. Okay, maybe a rubbish illustration. But the knowledge of what the king is doing, the knowledge of a plan that includes at its centre for something incredibly amazing, includes you. To have the plan laid out, the, the plan that those on the outside would love to know, but it's been shrouded in secrecy for years. But now because he loves you, because he's chosen you, he wants you to be his son, he sent his son to die to redeem you, now he's ready to tell you, let me let you in on the secret, let me tell you what I've been working towards, let me tell you the reason why I chose you and predestined you and redeemed you, let me tell you the big scheme to which it's all working, I'll let you in on the secret because I care about you. God says my plan is to bring together everything in heaven and earth, under Christ, to unite all things in Christ. You see I've put a little table there because he says the same thing again later in the letter. He calls it the mystery, the plan, the plan of the mystery. To unite all things under Christ, chapter 1, or in chapter 3, to unite Jews and Gentiles together in one body in Christ. Actually, the word in chapter 1, to unite, it actually comes from the word to to bring under one head. It's the kind of, to in-head eyes, or something like that in, in Greek. It's the same word as head. And heads have bodies, and we are the body. And throughout Ephesians, Paul is going to be unpacking this idea that God's intention is to bring together a body, which is the church, made up of all kinds of different people, and for Jesus to be the head, for them to be in him, for them to share in all of his blessings, for them to be one under him. And Paul says, that's his plan, and it includes you if you're a Christian. And before the creation of the world, God has been up to putting that plan into practice. 
He chose you. Maybe you didn't realize that until today. If you're a Christian, God picked you because he wanted you for his team. He's already decided he wants you to be one of the holy and blameless ones around his throne. Maybe you thought that that you kind of stumbled into God's family by accident because of a Christianity Explore course or something like that. But Naples says he predestined you for adoption. He set it all up. Maybe you didn't realise how expensive it would be for Jesus to own you. But it cost him his life, his blood. And maybe you didn't realise that all of this was part of a fantastic cosmic plan. A plan for a future for the world very different to the one that you can see with your physical eyes. A plan for a world where Jesus is Lord of all and his people are all one under him. You should be excited at this point. Otherwise I've failed. You should be thinking, God has blessed me in kind of amazing ways. You should be thinking, this is even more cool than 2-0. It's even better than the little function on my iPhone 3G. I hope you realise that at the very least. And maybe you're even thinking, you know, I would love to shout that out. On my way home, as I pass a, um, a star... I might, even though I'm British, some of you are not, even though I'm British, I might even be tempted to shout out to the star, praise God with me. That would be quite cool, actually, if you all did that as we left. I'd be be surprised. (laughs) Or at least in your heart to say, praise him, and mean it with a joy. And then in your conversations to say, praise him, and mean it. To be one of those people who just can't stop talking about Jesus. Who will be inviting people to the do I have to lose my mind to be a Christian guest event? Not because William waved it and we know that we're supposed to invite people to guest events, but just because you can't think of anything better than telling people at work about the God who blesses us incredibly, kindly, lavishly in Jesus. And so all the way through our passage, we have the application. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us. And then again, verse 14, the end of his sentence when he finally gets there. To the praise of his glorious grace. Let's praise him together. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We bless you. Because you have blessed us in Christ with such incredible spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Father, we pray that for for us, these invisible things would be just as real as the things that we see around us. Father, help us to believe, to trust in being chosen by you. Help us, Father, not to see predestination as an awkward philosophical debate, but as a reason to praise you for your great kindness in planning to, to adopt us. Help us, Father, to think of the cross of Jesus as we celebrated in communion as a costly way in which you bought us for yourself. And help us, Father, to realise that this world is heading towards a great future according to your fantastic plan in which you've included us. 
And therefore, Lord, will we be people whose emotions are not quiet, whose mouths are not closed tomorrow morning at work, in the office, in the hall, in the lecture, but rather who want to praise your glorious grace. For Jesus' sake. Amen.